welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Angtarap. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. In North America, the summer season is drawing to a close, and I pray you've had experiences of deep rest and delight. If those experiences were few and far between, I pray the next season still holds those things for you. Speaking of next seasons, an opportunity near and dear to my heart is open and I'd like to invite you to consider it. The next two-year Academy for Spiritual Formation will begin in January 2023 and it consists of eight weeks of retreat over two years. If you are in need of community, worship, stillness, and wisdom teaching, I invite you to apply today to join others on the journey. For more information and to apply, please visit academy.upperroom.org. Now on to this month's episode. Reverend Larry J. Peacock, director of the Franciscan Spiritual Center in Milwaukee, Oregon, has led retreats and workshops for groups and churches across the country and is the author of The Living Nativity, Preparing for Christmas with St. Francis, and Openings, a daybook of saints, sages, psalms, and prayer practices, along with many articles on liturgy and spirituality. He pastored United Methodist Churches in England, Michigan, and California for 30 years before moving to Massachusetts to become executive director of Rolling Ridge Retreat and Conference Center. After being a participant in the Academy for Spiritual Formation, the very one I just mentioned, he became a retreat leader and faculty presenter for the Academy. He is trained as a spiritual director and has made pilgrimages to Assisi, Iona, and Teze even walked the last 100 kilometers of the Camino de Santiago and taught at Boston University School of Theology. He's married to author Reverend Anne Broyles and has two children and one amazing granddaughter. Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. Let the Franciscan way of understanding our belovedness seep into your bones and into your very imagination. So as we think about bearing witness, I want us to think again and again that we start with love, God's love, that we are beloved and God has first loved us. I also want to explore with you a Franciscan understanding which looks at the incarnation as the entry point for understanding God's love, in addition to, or maybe rather than, the resurrection. For Franciscans, God's love for us begins at creation, in Genesis, and then is seen again clearly in the first chapter of John. And those become the places of focus rather than John 3.16, and sometimes our sinfulness and God coming to save us. The Franciscan way amongst writers gave me a language and an entry point into understanding the love of God for me and for others. St. Francis thought the incarnation was the most important 
Christian celebration. He experienced God's joy and presence as he was celebrating what we think was the first living nativity in a small town in Grezio in Italy. I was blessed to be at Grezio and I was always also blessed when somebody from the academy said, would I write a book for Advent, which turned out to be the living nativity preparing for Christmas with St. Francis. Francis gathered people together in Grezio and had a, a midnight mass. And it was such a moving experience that people said, I think there was a baby on the stone manger, or I think there was something else happening there. But for Francis, he wanted to demonstrate that God's love has always been with us. And he wanted to demonstrate that God bent low to be with us ordinary people, ordinary farmers and humble people in Grezio in the 13th century. God bent low in creation and God bent low with Jesus. It was not because of any fault or sin on our part or any need to appease an angry God, but it was a continuation of the love of God in creation. It was part of the original design for all creation, not an afterthought to make up for human sinfulness. One writer says, God longs for all eternity to become human and God's child accomplished that at Bethlehem. In Genesis chapter one, God affirms that creation is good. He says it five times. God, she says it five times. And God said it's very good once, very good once and holy once. I never paid attention to that difference. You and I and the world are loved, created good, very good and holy. Franciscan theologian John Duns Scotus in the 13th century said, when God decided to create, the incarnation had to be first and foremost in God's mind and not dependent on any action of humans, especially sin. The incarnation was a natural outflow of God's love and the best way to communicate the fullness of God's love. Ephesians says that we are chosen in Christ before the world was made. This is voiced again in the first chapter of John, for in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the beginning, God loved creation, and so did the world, so did the Word, not to save us, but to continue to love us. So as God's beloved, prayer is the means for entering into communion with the one who loved us before we could love. The first love of God is revealed in prayer. Henry Nouwen says, the deeper we enter into the house of God, the house whose language is prayer, the less dependent we are on the blame or praise of those who surround us and the freer we are to let our whole being be filled with that first love.
less dependent on blame or praise of those around us, and freer we are to let the whole being, our whole being, be filled with that first love. So befriending silence and solitude becomes one of the places, maybe the best place, we can go to hear the truth about ourselves, to hear in the silence and solitude that we are God's beloved children, sons and daughters of a loving God. The challenge for us, and certainly in this topic of bearing witness, is to live from that reality. From our belovedness, we also discover that separateness is an illusion. Valerie Carr, a Sikh writer and activist that I have found very insightful, she says, the air we breathe is stardust. It contains atoms that have passed through the lungs of ancestors long dead. So you and I are breathing the same stuff and you, she says, are a part of me I do not yet know. That's how connected we are. You might recall Thomas Merton's familiar lines of his epiphany in Louisville, Kentucky. In Louisville at the corner of Fourth and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There's hardly any way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. The one time I was in Louisville, Kentucky, I think with Johnny, we stood by that memorial in Louisville. Henry Nowen says, if I go into my heart and meet God there, I always meet the world there. When God speaks in my heart, my heart becomes as wide as the world. Now one uses the image of a wagon wheel, that old wagon wheel kind with many spokes. And he says, as we deepen in prayer and move toward the hub, toward the center of the wheel, this is where we meet others on their journey to God. In the center is God at the hub, and in the heart of God, we are in communion with the whole world. In another book about Nowen, this time by Philip Broderick, Nowen says in conversation with him, my deepest conviction is that communion with God 
in solidarity with all of humanity, they always go together. Communion with God and solidarity with all of humanity, they always go together. For St. Francis, the incarnation not only showed God's love to him, but it showed Francis the love for all people and indeed all creation. Many say that his first conversion was hearing Christ speak to him from a cross and asking him to rebuild the church, which he could see was falling down. Francis thought it was a call to physically rebuild the church. Later did he discover that it was to rebuild the whole community of faith. But many say the second conversion was like his first one. He was riding through the countryside on a horse. He still had some means early in his conversion. And he came upon a group of lepers. Feeling compelled by God, he got off his horse and he meant to give them a coin. But he was so moved by the love of God that he went and embraced them and ended up going to serve amongst them for a while. So we have that story of the call from the cross and the call from the lepers, love of God, love of others, they're connected. From lepers to Muslims who he visited in the Crusades to all the people who came to follow him, Francis lived out of both of those loved. Our challenge as we think of this topic of bearing witness is to live out of our belovedness and to live out of our connectedness. Sounds pretty evil, easy since we hear that in the Gospels of, as well, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we discover it's pretty challenging because there are other dominant stories in our social landscape that tell us not to do this. They tell us that we are not enough, smart enough, pretty enough, strong enough, white enough, human enough, straight enough to belong and to be loved. There are other stories that we are entitled or privileged or better than others. And so we get divided into good or bad, saved or unsaved, with us or against us. All these stories that try to deny that we are connected, that we are created in God's image. I think one of the reasons I feel at home in my work with the Franciscans is that they so clearly say that we are created and held by the extravagant love of God. In fact, they did a whole six-month program called The Extravagant Love of God. And we're connected not only to one another through God, but we're connected to all as sister and brother, and we're connected to all of creation, so much so that Francis called them brother, son, and sister moon, although the Catholic sister I live with or I work with says that that movie is not the best story about St. Francis, but I still love brother, son, and sister moon. Brother wind and sister water, brother fire, sister mother earth, even sister death. St. Francis wrote that litany of praise 
in his latter years while he was in pain and nearly blind and could not see all of creation. How do we live out of that belovedness <clears throat> and creation? How do we follow Jesus's teaching to love God and love the neighbor as ourself? Catherine de Heck Doherty, a former Russian baroness who became captivated by the radical compassion of the gospel. She founded Houses of Prayer and Action first in Canada, and then she founded Friendship House, an interracial charity ministry in Harlem. Interesting that Thomas Merton, as he was searching his way, found Catherine and Friendship House and lived in that interracial community and developed such a deeper understanding of racism in that place that in the 60s when anti-war became concerned to him and racism became a concern to him, he was able to connect with civil rights leaders because of his experience living in Harlem at Friendship House. We have to begin to love one another in the fullest sense of Christ's teaching. But Catherine wrote, to do so, we must first pray. The immense problems of war, social injustice, of the thousand and one evils that beset our world, they can be solved, she said, only if we begin to love one another. When people begin to see, to love, to respect and reverence Christ in the eyes of another, then they will change society, then they will change, and society will change also. She said, begin knowing that God loves you. Maybe it's that prayer of loving kindness again. May I be at peace. May my heart always be open. May I awaken to the divine light deep within and all around. May I be healed. May I be a source of healing for others and offering that prayer to others as well. Thomas Merton wrote to a young activist, solitude and interior prayer are closely linked with the awakening of the social conscience. It is in solitude, <clears throat> in the depths of a person's aloneness that there lies the resources for resistance to injustice. I think we live out of our belovedness and connection to one another by developing a compassionate heart. Writer and Hispanic preacher Isaac Villegas in a Christian Century article said, Jesus must have learned his prophetic ministry from his mother. Learned about God's grace from the poet of the Magnificat, Magnificat his mother. And Isaac concluded his article by saying, my politics are Marian. That would have been a good thing to look at, but I would like to look at with you Luke chapter 8, 40 to 56, as a pattern for going with Jesus and developing a compassionate heart, a compassionate heart that knows communion with God and solidarity with all people. 
In that story in Luke chapter 8, he's interrupted on his journey by a synagogue official named Jairus, if you remember that story. And Jairus begs Jesus to go with him because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. So Jesus and disciples decide to go with Jairus. In the story, though, Jesus is interrupted by a woman who touches his cloak and is healed. And there is another conversation there, but that perhaps is another story. Today, I want to focus on Jairus. Actually, I want to focus on Jesus, this second interruption. A second interruption comes. The servant arrives and says, don't bother the master. Jesus already has a reputation of being a teacher. The servant says, don't bother, she's died. But Jesus, as we go with Jesus into the house of prayer, Jesus goes with Jairus and he says, again, so many times Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Good words for us as well as we seek to bear witness to the love of God and solidarity with neighbors. So let's go with Jesus to the house of prayer. First of all, we enter the house and Jesus sees what is real. Jesus sees the world around us. As Jesus enters the house of Jairus, he sees death, sadness, pain. It's a way of knowing that Jesus knows what we are going through. COVID-19, summer of protest, continual racism in our world that peaks out every now and again with the killing of black men. We know that Jesus weeps over the streets of Jerusalem because there is no peace. How often God's heart must break when he sees how we treat one another. But Jesus doesn't turn away in this house. He sees and stays with the pain. Our staff at the Franciscan Spiritual Center is taking a year of education and hopefully action to deal with racism in ourselves, in our community, and in our ministry. We're starting off by reading Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. So wonderful, wonderfully written and painful book to read. Centuries of hatred, discrimination, and violence all based on color. One of my staff, Mark, said, it's pretty hard to read. I have to take it in slowly and sit with it, though I often want to turn away. So like Jesus, we see and don't ignore the seriousness of what's happening around us. We see and don't ignore the seriousness of a supposed little Chinese virus that grew into a global pandemic and touched the world and certainly the poorest of the world. See and know the pain that has happened this past year. Howard Thurman, preacher, writer, mystic, mystic his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, was carried by Martin Luther King wherever he went. Thurman says, people who have had their backs against the wall, they have to look squarely in the eye of fear and deception and hatred and become immune to their domination. 
the contradictions of life are not ultimate, but look squarely and see systemic racism. See the grief of families and communities impacted by the pandemic and gun violence and racism. See the pain of the black community in Minneapolis. No denial, no spiritual bypassing. I came across the story of a young bishop. He's an older bishop now, Bishop Barnes, a Roman Catholic bishop. He grew up in Southern California in East Los Angeles, which is one of the poorest areas in Los Angeles. He grew up as a poor kid living above, above a grocery store that his parents ran. Returning from seminary, they were driving through Skid Row, as East LA was called, and dad slammed on the brakes to avoid hitting a man crossing the streets. Seminarian Barnes said, oh man, look at that bum, what a waste. His mother turned around and said, he has a mother. He is someone's son. Bishop Barnes said, I saw a bum. She saw someone's son. I was studying scripture. She was living scripture. I looked with disdain. She looked with compassion. So seeing what is around us, and knowing we are connected. <clears throat> spiritual writer, spiritual director Janet Ruffin says, if we are as busy as we pretend to be, then we're probably too busy to allow ourselves to be affected by the pain and suffering of the world. We are too busy to be addressed personally by the social, political, or ecological disasters occurring in our world and relationships. We are too busy to listen to our own feelings or those of others. Our busyness insulates us from care and from compassion. As we go with Jesus in this story, we know that Jesus sees and Jesus feels. Jesus is not too busy to see and to feel. Cause me to be very afraid. Carjackings, mass violence, immense flooding in Pakistan, heat waves making agricultural labor simply inhumane in California. Like Jairus, I am very afraid. What do you fear, dear one? What causes you to shrink down? to draw away from the beloved community we aspire to. Spend a few moments really interrogating your fear. And into that place of fear and death, remember that Jesus peers in and says, do not be afraid. May the truth of our belovedness usher us through the doorway into a hurting world. 
May God's delight in us not only blush our cheeks, may it be the fire in our belly that will sustain us as we invest in new possibilities for a changed world. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Larry, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.